Alrighty, five millionth times the charm. I did, you know, tried to start this two hours ago, and uh, can't even say I tried. I just got home, started playing with the dog, and next thing you know, I was I was proposing a, a trade in fantasy, and uh, here I am, around six o'clock when I was hoping to be uh, to be editing this episode. But here we are, starting off. Welcome to Unqualified Analysis, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, I'm your host, Caleb Verzak. You know, this is you know you know what it is. The show that uh, has zero credentials, but just keeps firing off opinions, anyways. Got that out as smoothly as possible. Awesome. Here we are. Second episode of the week. Finishing the week strong. Today, we have got Adrian Martinez emerging from his grave in Nebraska. Miami falling apart right before our eyes in Mario, Christ- Mario Cristobal's starting off hot today, ladies and gentlemen. Mario Cristobal's opening season as the Miami head coach. Then Hendon Hooker might be the number one overall pick. We'll talk about that here in just a second. But first, let's get into the Monday Night Football recap, shall we? There was a a good game on that night. The Monday Night Recap. And let's talk about that Monday night game, shall we? It was the Cowboys at MetLife. I think it's MetLife still. At the the Giants Stadium at this point. Uh, We had two teams struggling offenses playing against two defenses that are, you know, solid in the Giants case. Very, very good in the Cowboys case. So, you know, game was low scoring as you would expect with those ingredients. I do believe they just barely hit the under in this one. So, clutch on that one. Except for, I think this might have been one of the ones that was down in the 30s, might have just barely got over it, in fact. I don't know. Didn't bet on this one because I'm not a total psychopath, at least not in the over-under category. I've been kind of scared off on that one. I mean, we'll talk about the pick pentathlon later, but my goodness, it was not not a good week not a good week for your boy, ladies and gentlemen. I'll just say that much. Anyways, we had a field goal fest on our hands in the first half. It was 6-3 as neither team really got going on offense, but in the third quarter, the game opened up a bit. Uh, the Giants surged to start the second half, scoring 10 out of the gate to take a 13-6 lead late in the third quarter. But Cooper Cush took the Cowboys on a spiritual journey by a sweet one-handed TD catch by C.D. Lamb to atone for an earlier dropped deep ball that he had in the first half. And my goodness, as a fantasy owner for uh, C.D. Lamb, I was hot watching that man laugh his way back down the field. I know there were there were laughs of regret, but... I, I want to see him just inconsolable after such a thing. I mean, t- and anyways, maybe maybe that's just me uh, wanting too much from my players, but as, as the coach, general manager of my fantasy team, I'm a, I'm a hard guy to play for, but you know what? I care for my players. I knew he was going to go out there. Had a sick one-handed catch, man. That, that great ball from Cooper Rush, quite honestly. I mean, he does just enough. I, I, I was talking with uh, old former co-host Zach about this. And uh, I feel like Cooper Rush is like great as a backup quarterback because he's just not shitty enough to not lose you a game. You know what I'm saying? He's gonna he's gonna get you a few good drives a game, orchestrate it, get you down the field, not make any mistakes, and then convert it at the end to where he's not gonna do all the things that Dak does for you. No, by no means. No matter what Jerry Jones says, I mean that guy is he he's out of his mind quite clearly. I mean there's there's no way. I mean, obviously, he's just thinking very optimistically at this point because you have to think optimistically because he sees the uh, the, the writing on the wall here, the uh, the end of the timeline coming up, and he wants to see a Super Bowl. But I digress on that front. Uh, either way, I feel like Cooper Cooper Rush, one of those guys that you can absolutely win with in a pinch, 
When Dak comes back, definitely a starter, but having Cooper Rush as your backup, definitely a weapon. He earned himself a lot of money and probably a long career as doing that Chase Daniel thing, if I had to say. But getting back on topic here, uh, that sweet one-handed grab put him up 23-13. Uh, from there, Giants got another field goal, but stalled late on a Danny being Danny. Uh, fuck it throw. Interception late. Another gutsy win for this injury-stricken Cowboys team to put them over 500 for the first time this season. Uh, and they could stay there for a little bit. I mean, they're doing a lot better than I thought they would. That offense still injured as hell, but that defense uh, just a brick shithouse. And, I mean, they'll likely get some help going forward, too, uh, as Michael Gallup had a chance to make a return in this game, but he'll likely make his debut either next game or the following one coming off that ACL that ended his season last year for him. Uh, you may remember he actually injured it on a spectacular touchdown grab uh, that really got me fired up watching it, but hopefully he comes back, stays on the field. He's been injury prone in the past, but when he's been out there, he has been spectacular. Great uh, possession catch guy. Great quick guy out of routes. Have to see if that, that holds out of the ACL. Never really a, a guarantee in that, but hopefully we see him come out uh, looking good for this Cowboys offense, at least for their sake, because they need a, a legit number two to come in. They can't just have Noah Brown being out there. I know Cooper, Cooper Rush loves to throw to him, but having a great set of hands like Michael Gallup back at that two spot Going to be a huge, huge boost for this offense. Uh, some notable performers in this one on the Cowboys side. Cooper Rush had just below 68%, 21 of 31 on the day, 215 yards, so 6.9 yards per attempt. Nice. One TD, no interceptions. Didn't really put the team over the top, but also didn't shoot him in the foot either. All you can ask for from a backup quarterback, beautiful play from, from Cooper Rush, uh, in that it wasn't sexy, but it got the job done. Uh, in the backfield, two-headed monster as per usual, Tony Pollard, 13 rushes, 105 yards, over 8 yards per carry. No touchdown, but really solid, solid day. Really continues to prove that he's the best back in Dallas, even though he's not getting the same amount of touches that Zeke does. That aforementioned Zeke, by the way, 15 rushes, uh, 73 yards and a touchdown, so not really bad in his own right. Just, I mean, you look at Tony Pollard play, and you look at Zeke play, obviously the Cowboys have a great group of backs back there. Having both of those guys is an absolute weapon, but of the two of them, man, I got to go with Tony Pollard here because he is, I mean, he's younger, got younger legs, more explosive. Um really can do all the things that Z can do is just a little bit more athletic. I mean, really, it's pick your poison. I feel like Tony Pollard should start. Either way, though, that running game is going to be an absolute weapon for this Cowboys team going forward until they get Dak back in the lineup. And really after that, too, because, I mean, I don't know if you've seen the pass blocking there and what they have to pass block in front of them. I mean, hey, Jason Peters is about 5 million years old, was around when the dinosaurs were around, and was blocking the shit out of T-Rexes back then, too. He came in, looked, I mean, as good as he ever has in that, that lineup for the Cowboys on Monday night. All right, sorry. Had my dog come up and decide that she needed to sniff around the closet of shame just to make sure everything was cool before I proceeded with my analysis of the Cowboys. Where was I? All right, Cowboys backfield. Yeah, Tony Pollard, more explosive at this point than Zeke is, and especially on that big contract. I mean, I know Jerry Jones has a, a love affair with Zeke Elliott at this point in his career, but just not the same player that he once was. 
if Jerry Jones has nothing to say about it, which that's never a guarantee, obviously, but Tony Pollard should be number one back there. I already spent too much time on that, though. I digress. CeeDee Lamb dropped that one big pass, but still had eight receptions, 86 yards, one touchdown. If he had caught that one earlier in the first half, he would have had closer to maybe maybe like uh, like 120, 130, something like that. So big, big night for C.D. Lamb, uh, especially with the, the Giants knowing that he's basically the biggest, well, not basically, he is the biggest receiving threat that the Cowboys have at this point. So to have him come out there, still have all that coverage shaded over to him, but also beat it, pretty impressive from C.D. Lamb. He continues to kind of befuddle me with the amount of drops that he has, but with his play out there, it's been spectacular enough. I mean, you can't deny he's a very, very good player. Uh, interesting to see what happens when Dak comes back, but I digress once again. Uh, Micah Parsons played but was under the weather with an illness, so safety Donovan Wilson stepped up. 11 tackles, one sack, one pass defended. Uh, also, Trayvon Diggs got his first interception of the season after that explosive 11-pick season he had in 2021. Uh, that play officially closed the door on the Giants' chances of winning with... 117 remaining in the game. A uh, little note on Trayvon Diggs. People that are, you know, big tape eaters, people watching the tape, got the all 22 out, watching the corners work, say that Trayvon Diggs is actually better at, at coverage than he was last season. Now, this is coming off giving up uh, well over 200 yards in uh, in Monday night, from what I understand, but actually, that, does, that doesn't even make sense. He didn't, I mean, Danny Jones didn't even throw for over 200 yards. I'm, I'm, I'm tripping on that one. But either way, Trayvon Diggs has been absolutely spectacular this year, even though he hasn't gotten the pick production. So, little thing to watch there. You got a great corner and a great uh, pass rusher. You are cooking with gas, my friend. But on the Giants' side, uh, Daniel Jones, another under underwhelming performance. He was playing that uh, very good uh, Dallas defense, but 20 for 37, so 54%, uh, 196 yards, 5.3 yards per attempt. No touchdowns, one interception. Did have 70-some rushing yards, so very good on the ground as per usual. Everyone knows Danny's got wheels. We remember him. We prominently remember him falling on his face on the way to the goal line, but the fact of the matter is he hit, like, a top speed of 22 miles an hour, uh, while he was getting getting down there. He was absolutely moving, and he can still absolutely move, uh, which is probably why he's going to be a backup for a long time. But I think he showed, I mean, once again, he's shown over and over again, no matter what system he's in, maybe give him, a, I mean, he's out of time at this point. They're not going to give him more time, especially with the new regime. But at this point, I mean, 196 yards. Yes, it was the Cowboys' defense, but absolutely not going to cut it. I think you've already gotten your answer as to uh, what you're going to do in the draft next year as far as a quarterback or or trade free agency. Either way, we know that Daniel Jones is not going to be the answer there going forward. Um, also for the Giants, running back Saquon Barkley, the guy that was really the team uh, in this one, 14 rushes for 81 yards, uh, just below 6 yards per carry at 5.8. Uh, touchdown on the ground, also had 4 receptions, 45 yards through the air for 126 yards total from scrimmage, monster performance from Saquon Barkley. I mean, he's been stringing together monster performance after monster performance this season. Again, a lot like a lot of players here, it's yet to be seen if he stays healthy this season. I mean, he's had a tough time doing that in the past, but man, he has been spectacular so far this season. 
can only hope that continues going forward here. Uh, Sterling Shepard, really the, the biggest receiver for the Giants in this one. Five receptions, 49 yards, but devastating injury news for him. Uh, he tore his ACL on the final offensive play of the game for the Giants. That uh, aforementioned fuck it ball from Danny Dimes uh, to Trayvon Diggs to seal the game. Uh, brutal way to end the season just after just coming off uh, that Achilles tear he suffered last season. He was just coming back from that uh, at the end of 2021. Uh, the Giants are now perilously thin on the outside with Richie James stepping in as the de facto number one receiver. You would expect Kenny, Do Kenny Galladay, for the amount they're paying him, to be the number one receiver there. I guess thank you, Dave Gettleman. But uh, that is absolutely not what's happening. They're at odds with, with uh, Kenny Galladay. And his contract is, frankly, untradeable. So... Might get ugly there. Might be some real turmoil on the offensive side. I have no idea what they're going to do with that because they are absolutely stuck with him with the amount of dead cap that he carries with him. And like I said, the fact that they're not going to trade that Galladay contract, boy, is that going to be interesting to watch going forward. Uh, but hey, Richie James, if you got him in a fantasy league or if you got like a 12-team fantasy league like I'm in, like I just put in a waiver claim for the guy. I, I really like his... Uh, I really like his play out there, but if you are in a fantasy league, uh, Richie James is essentially the number one receiver on the Giants, and he is not rostered in like 90% of leagues. So just take that information for what you will, maybe get a little bit of an edge, because I mean, he's if you're in a PPR league, he's, he's averaging like, well, not averaging, but he's projected to get like, like 11, 12 points like every game from here on forward. So hey, to, don't, don't ask me, but I think you should pick him up. I'm picking him up if I get the opportunity. Either way, we'll see what happens. Sounds like a lot of Saquon from here on out, but what else is new? That that just seems like Giants this year. They are, them and the commies are having just like a sad, sad battle for last in the division right now. Uh, we'll, I'm sure we'll get to see that play out multiple times this season because that's just, that's how the division play works in the NFL. But that just about wraps it up for Monday night. So uh, why not get into college football week three, shall we? We've spent entirely too much time on this Monday night game. Really good throwback game, but let's close it out and get to some college football. College football week four. Eventful week in the college football landscape. The top five was unchanged, but some drama after that. I mean, it was a good week of games. Always is a good week of games in the college football landscape. I've said it before. I'll say it again. I mean, I love the NFL for all the tacticality, the strategy, all the layers to it, the nuance. I mean, the fact that it's so beautifully complex, beautifully violent, and the best athletes in the world out there. But the college game is just chaos all over the place. You got... 18 to, I mean, I guess 25-year-olds, given all the COVID extra years going on. But you got all a bunch of young guys out there. There's bound to be mistakes. You got a lower level of talent. You got giant teams. There's madness and mayhem. And there's a billion teams out there, too, because there's a million colleges. There's just madness and mayhem every week. The chaos of college football is what keeps me coming back for more. Not all the strategy and all the precision, the beauty of the NFL game, just the chaos and the pure madness of the, the college game is, oh, it is something to behold. But don't yuck my yum either. I like both of them. They have different flavors, but they're both uh, both great. 
I hate the notion that you can't, you, you can only like one or the other college or the NFL. Love both. We'll continue to love both. But with that said, kicking it off, I have, God, this is going to be a two-hour episode with how I am just going off on tangents on this one. But kicking it off, K-State gets a seismic upset, beating number six, Oklahoma, at Norman, their house, 41-34. to Shocker of the weekend in this matchup is former Nebraska QB Adrian Martinez had the game of his life for his new team, K-State. Oklahoma never led in the game, and with that, six goes down. The Sooners now face an uphill battle for a playoff berth at the end of the year. Uh, Notable performers in this one, Adrian Martinez had, like I said, really the game of his life. 21 of 34 passing, uh, just over 60%. I mean, 234 yards, uh, again, 6.9 yards per attempt. Nice, fucking awesome, love to see it. Uh, But really efficient five touchdowns only one passing but four rushing zero interceptions and what you may be able to deduce uh with your giant brain over there from that four rushing touchdowns is that he had a hell of a day on the ground and uh god i always want to call him brian van gorder from for some reason but it's uh Brent Venables, Jesus Christ, I don't know why I couldn't come up with his name. But yeah, Brent Venables, for all the uh, all the great defenses he had in Clemson, this is not one of them his first year in Oklahoma, but 21 rushes, 148 yards, so 7 yards per carry for Adrian Martinez in this one, those four aforementioned touchdowns. He had a monster, monster game. Uh, Dylan Gabriel on the other side, though, not bad in his own right. I mean, Brent Venables might not have a great defense this year, but he has a very, very good quarterback playing for him. Uh, 26 to 39, so two-thirds of his passes completed there. 330 yards, 8.5 yards per attempt. Four TDs, no interceptions. Also contributed 61 yards on the ground on seven rushes. So, I mean, you do the math yourself. That's, I mean, ugh. Over eight yards per carry, that's that's quick mass B right there, quick mass. Either way, Dylan Gabriel, not an unimpressive performance of his own, just wasn't quite enough to get past K-State in this one. Uh, in the backfields, Deuce Vaughn had 25 rushes, 116 yards, no touchdowns though for Kansas. Uh, as a team, Kansas State rather, uh, rushed for 275 yards, 5.6 yards per carry, and those four touchdowns all coming from Adrian Martinez. Beautiful, beautiful legs. Got a little creepy there for a second, but I'm going to stay on track. Uh, for all OU, uh, running back Eric Gray had 16 rushes, 114 yards. No touchdowns either. Hard to get touchdowns on the ground if you're a running back in this one. Uh, but through the air, hell of a day. Showing that versatility that scouts look for. Seven rece- receptions, 45 yards, uh, so over 150 yards from scrimmage. Almost almost got to that 160-yard mark. Either way, great day for Eric Gray in this one, and defense was absolutely optional from what I'm, I'm gathering here. Uh, for K-State, uh, not a huge day through the air like I laid out before, uh, but four receptions, 80 yards, no touchdowns for tight end Ben Sinat. Sinat? Sinat, I don't know. One of those, one of those weird, vaguely European names uh, that K State gets. You get a lot of interesting uh, immigration to the to the Midwest because of all the mining and, and agriculture and such like that. But I digress. What what could I say? Uh, on the Oklahoma side, a lot of good performances. I mean, 
a lot of a lot of touchdowns thrown as opposed to uh, Adrian Martinez. So I mean, wide receiver Marvin Mims four four receptions, eighty seven yards to lead all the receivers and a touchdown. Uh, wide receiver Theo Weiss, we yeah, it's definitely Weiss. Uh, three receptions, seventy five yards and one touchdown. And Braden Willis, five receptions, forty one yards, two touchdowns. For the big tight end there. I mean, really great offense. I mean, you'd think Lincoln Riley would have never left. I mean, obviously the guy recruited all these guys here, and we'll have to see in two, three years down the line when Brent Venables has all his own guys in there what that offense ends up looking like. But for right now, they are absolutely firing on all cylinders, even if the defense isn't necessarily living up to their end of the bargain. Have to see what Venables pulls together. Really, maybe not this year because the team is what it is. A lot like Miami, who we'll talk about in a minute here. But still, he's a guy that you got to give him a little bit of time. Obviously, with every single every single coach, but I think he'll put together a defense there eventually. Interested to see what he comes up with there in Norman, Oklahoma. Moving on, though, we have got number five Clemson winning in a shootout against number twenty-one Wake. Forest 51 to 45 to remain unbeaten on the season and retain that five spot did not change this week. Game summary, this game was everything we could have hoped for. Absolute banger right out of the gates on Saturday at that noon slot as all all the defense went out the window until the final possession of the game where Clemson's defense bowed up, bowed up rather to end Sam Hartman's career day on a sour note. In the end, Clemson just hangs on to stay undefeated and retain their number five ranking. Some notable performers in this one, Clemson QB DJ Uyunglele uh, had 26 of 41, so 63.4%, uh, 371 yards in the nine yards per attempt average five tds through the air no turnovers good day for him 52 yards on the ground albeit not necessarily the most efficient performance but we have to keep in mind also college they 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 track rushing stats in a fucked up way the the sack stats are counted into rushing it's all sorts of mess it's why players like cj stroud end up having like negative rushing yards on a season but again i digress great performance from dj uyongalele uh for Wake Forest QB, Sam Hartman, like I said, career day. Most touchdown passes he ever had in a day was six. No turnovers at that. Uh, 20 of 29 for 69% completion. Nicest of the nicest here. 337 yards, 11 and a half yards per attempt. He was absolutely dominating that Clemson defense. That was supposed to be very, very strong. So either Sam Hartman is... He's him, obviously, uh, or that that defense isn't quite as good as we thought it would would be. I mean, we'll have to see as we get into uh, league play here. You would think that with NC State coming in this week, uh, you'd get a little bit more of a of a, a test in that way. But Devin Leary hasn't exactly been lighting up the the bad competition this year, so you'd be worried if you were on NC State NC State side. I, again, I digress. Getting off topic here. Clemson running back Will Shipley had 20 rushes, 104 yards, just over five yards per attempt, and a touchdown. Also three receptions, 15 yards through the air. Really solid performance from him. Uh, reeled off a big run early. Kind of kind of plateaued down the stretch, but have a very good uh 
performance overall in this one. On Wake Forest's side, uh, Justice Ellison had 21 rushes. Workman like 73 yards. Just ice those knees, bud. You're going to need him after this one because I'm sure you're getting chalked down all day for the, that 3.5 yards per carry. I feel bad for that kid's knees. Uh, no touchdowns. Uh, one reception for 22 yards, though, and I bet he felt like he was flying on that one uh, with all the lack of success he was having off the line with the, the blocking he was getting, I would imagine. Either way, on Clemson's side, on the outside, wide receiver Joseph Nada had four receptions, 84 yards, no touchdowns, but four Clemson players caught at least one touchdown. Tight ends caught three of those TDs with Davis Allen catching two and Jake Brininstool catching one of his own. On the Wake Forest side, wide receiver Jamal Banks had a hell of a day. Six receptions, 141 yards, two touchdowns. And wide receiver Donovan Green, not a Huge day, but efficient in his touches. Two receptions, two touchdowns for 53 yards to boot. Solid day from Wake Forest on offense, but the defense just could not hold it. And on the Clemson side, I mean, just surviving to, to continue to advance. That Clemson team doesn't exactly look like doesn't exactly look like something that's going to be a juggernaut down the stretch. If they get to the playoff, they're probably going to get housed by, I mean, Bama, Georgia, Ohio State. Take your pick between those. But we'll have to see what happens going forward. They're going to get a big test this week with NC State. But with that, let's talk about Miami, shall we? MTSU fully derailed their season on Saturday with a 45-31 shellacking at Miami. And uh, if you're Miami, you're hoping for a get-right game in this one. But you received uh, an extra helping of pain instead. Tyler Van Dyke looked bad again as MTSU uh, came into Miami and gave them the hands in this one, lighting up that defense for Mario Cristobal. What a start to Mario Cristobal's era here in Miami. Definitely too early to speculate how the program will ultimately perform under his regime. Like I said, got to get some player turnover in there. You can never judge a coach after their first season. Even the second season, you might be jumping the gun to a certain extent if you fire a guy in some circumstances but you got to really give a coach three seasons to see what you have in there uh i really I, you know i trust miami to give mario cristobal those three seasons at the very least uh that being said uh losing to an inferior team on your own field isn't exactly a great way to engender confidence with the donors and administration they're still in the ACC, so the schedule going forward isn't exactly daunting, but it certainly gets more challenging than MTSU. Again, this was supposed to be a get-right game heading into ACC play, so this is a foreboding omen for the rest of the season going forward for the Hurricanes, and you're getting a hurricane this weekend, a literal one, and Ian actually made groundfall on the day that I'm recording at a Category 4. Absolutely wild. Hope everyone's okay down there. Uh, hope the parents are sheltering uh, in place on the other side of Florida, on the Atlantic side, uh, probably getting a tropical storm by the time it gets over there, or uh, a less powerful hurricane. Either way, shouts out to Miami. Not really sure why I'm throwing the actual hurricane in here, but let's get into some stats, shall we? Notable performers in this one. Tyler Van Dyke actually got benched 16-32, a little bit under 50% on the day, uh, had 138 yards, 
All right, Riley, Riley decided she's going to come in here and she's going to hang out with me. Uh, we'll, we'll see how long that lasts. My voice is very loud, and I'm sure my dog very sensitive, but she wants me to feed her. Let me tell you, dog, it's just not happening until after I'm done recording. I'm sorry. I love you, but uh, first things first. Uh, anyways, where was I? Tyler Van Dyke. Terrible, shitty game in this one. One TD, two interceptions. Like I said, got benched late for uh, whoever the backup is in Miami. Honestly, they're not a good enough team for me to go there and find out. Uh, the team rushing, somehow worse than the passing. 60 yards, 1.8 yards per carry. Got those two touchdowns, but at, at what cost? Were were, were the, the running backs' knees really the, the price you wanted to pay for those that 1.8 yards per carry, those two touchdowns you got? Uh, not great at all. Uh, as far as... Receivers on the outside, I don't know why I didn't. I, MTSU's quarterback, I put him all the way down here for some reason. Had a, I mean, the performance of the day, I cannot gloss over this. I can't believe I put him all the way at the end of the stat sheet. I mean, I, I bought myself in the head for that one. Got to give myself a little, little slap across the face. Uh, 16 to 25, 64%, 408 yards. at 16 yards per attempt. I repeat, 16 yards per pass attempt. That is insane. That means every time they drop back to pass, you can bet that they are getting 16 yards at least. They are getting a first down every single time they attempt to pass. Looney Tunes numbers from Chase Cunningham, uh, MTSU's quarterback. Four touchdowns on the day, three of them passing, one rushing, and an interception. But we can forgive him when you're slinging the ball like he was 25 and a half yards per completion on the day. Silly, insane numbers. MTSU just embarrassing that Miami secondary. Who's to say where they go from here? I've heard interesting things about the maybe the offensive coordinator that that Cristobal brought in. Maybe not the best fit for uh for Miami down there right now. Not with the personnel they have, anyways. So. Have to see how that works going forward here, but not a great time to be a Hurricanes fan. Uh, throw, put those U's away, U's down, make them ends now. I don't know what the hell you, you say with Hurricanes. Sunny skies, no Hurricanes down here in Miami in, in stark contrast to the actual uh, reality. Either way, on that grim note, let's get into the next game, shall we? Uh, number 11, Tennessee getting a statement win at home against their mortal rivals, number 20, Florida, uh, 38 to 33. After I get a drink here, mm, mm, mm. just an ice cold gulp of nondescript sports drink because they're not paying me because I am an athlete and that's what I drink. Anyways, this game, big time measuring stick game for the Volunteers as they host their bitter rivals. Florida, I mean, obviously Florida, first year of Billy Napier, they're still trying to figure it out. They're not going to get anywhere of note this season, especially in that, I mean, apparently now vaunted SEC East, uh, tough, tough year to be uh, to be Florida. But as for the Volunteers, they are a feisty team, especially with Hendon Hooker back there. Uh, with college game day in attendance, no better time for Florida to go out there and get an absolute statement 
on the board, and that's exactly what they did. In the early going, Florida actually dictated the pace of the game early with their defense and that dynamic play of Anthony Richardson, but momentum shifted in Tennessee's favor at the end of the first half when Hendon Hooker drove the Volunteers 99 yards and threw a touchdown to Brew McCoy with seven seconds remaining in the half to put them up 17-14 to going into the intermission. From there, Tennessee carried that momentum right out of halftime with a dominant 21-7 run capped by a Jalen Wright TD to put the Vols up 38-21 with just under eight minutes to go. The Gators scored a couple late TDs to make it close in the final seconds, but Wright's TD essentially gave Tennessee the win. Final score, 38 33 Tennessee moving up the AP rankings, breaking into the top 10. We'll get into that in just a second once I swallow that burp. Anyways, I think we were pretty sure Tennessee was legit this year, but this confirms it in my eyes. They are a legit top 10 team. They're going to have ample opportunities down the stretch to make a playoff case if things fall their way. The month of October and first week of November are going to tell the tale of Tennessee's season. Next week, they play LSU in Death Valley. Never an easy task, no matter how good the team is down there at LSU. That environment is, I've been in there firsthand a couple times at this point. And if you haven't been there, let me tell you, it is a bunch of borderline alcoholics in a stadium, over 100,000 of them being as loud as they possibly can. Uh, It is... It is an amazing sight. If you love college football, I recommend going to Death Valley at least once. Pay a little bit of extra money. Sit down in that lower bowl. Just take in all the cascading noise from the stadium. Oh, man. I mean, I'm not an LSU fan, but if you're a college football fan, you you need to go to Death Valley at some point. That is all to say, never an easy task to go down there to, to Death Valley. They got that next week coming up that'll be interesting to watch then in the following three weeks three of the following four weeks they play Bama Kentucky and they're at Georgia I would be shocked if they won the UGA game on the road but if they can take care of business versus LSU this week they got to take care of business obviously I think they can do it playing by Bama and Kentucky in Neyland Stadium with those over talk about over a hundred thousand capacity Neyland Stadium definitely has another place that I was in as a kid and man is, does that place get rocking too having hosting your your two strongest opponents outside of Georgia left on the schedule in Bama and Georgia man that that's a hell of an advantage going into that one uh going to be very interesting to watch going forward to see how they progress throughout the rest of this month there's a very real chance they win one one of those two and a solid chance to win both. They could get, I'll, I'll tell you, if Tennessee is 11-1 and one heading into the Selection Sunday, got a real shot taking that fourth slot in the playoff spot. I mean, I honestly, I am chalking up UGA as a loss, especially going to Georgia. I All, all, uh, all reservations, I mean, I, I would love to see Tennessee because I'm, First and foremost, you gotta you gotta know by the preamble I had here about college football coming in. Um, I am a man who will root for chaos when I don't have a real dog in the fight. I mean, obviously I am what hour and a half down the road from Tennessee, so and I kind of 
had a had a bit of a I mean growing up I was a bit of a Tennessee fan rooted for Tennessee all throughout high school then I, I went to a different SEC school and well things change after a while but still got a bit of an affinity for Tennessee that being said what I'm really rooting for here is chaos and Tennessee winning over Georgia would be chaos that being said Georgia is so talented overpoweringly so that I'm just chalking that one off up to a loss but I'll tell you what man Bama, Kentucky, LSU, that that's a real stretch. They could win all of those. If they win all of those games, they could take that four spot very, very easily. This is a dangerous, dangerous Tennessee team coming forward. We're going to learn a lot over the next month and some change. I cannot wait to watch it, folks. Uh, as far as notable performances for Tennessee, Hendon Hooker, I mean, had a classic Hendon Hooker sort of game, didn't he? I mean, 22 of 28 78.6%, 349 yards, 12 and a half yards per attempt, three touchdowns, two of them passing, one rushing, 13 rushes, 112 yards on the ground for an 8.6 yards per carry average, and of course that one TD I talked about before, and I'm going to hop on this train early while I can still get a good seat towards the front, can hop right on, hop right off when I get to my destination, Hendon Hooker should be the number one overall pick in the NFL draft. I don't care who is picking there. Hendon Hooker is an absolute stud at quarterback. And I mean, obviously, a little bit of reservation because Josh Heupel, his QBs have put up big numbers in the past. I mean, he was the he was the UCF offensive coordinator for a while when they were just absolutely mopping the floor with anyone that they put in, that that got put in front of them. Uh, life got real for uh, Scott Frost there after that. But again, I digress. Hendon Hooker, though, I mean, the guy he had six incompletions against a, a defense like Florida. That is not anything to sneeze at. And I mean, I know he's 24 years old. He would be the 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 oldest number one overall pick of all time, I'm fairly certain. But, I mean, tell me how this man is not the number one overall pick, how he's not everything that you would want from an NFL quarterback. Let's go down the list here. He is accurate, very, very accurate. He has been, like, basically at that 70% completion percentage over the past couple seasons he's been with Tennessee. I mean, he's had the weapons on the outside. Sure, he's got great receivers out there, but he's putting balls on him. He's making great decisions. He's not throwing interceptions. He didn't turn the ball over at all in this one. In addition to that, he's got size. He's 6'4", 6'3", taller than C.J. Stroud, taller than Bryce Young for sure, better framed than both of those guys. And unlike C.J. Stroud, he can actually run the ball. I mean, eight and a half yards per per carry in this one. Hendon Hooker should be number one overall pick. I am leaving you all some spots next to me so we can all talk about how smart we are later. But I'm telling you right now, Hendon Hooker, there is no reason outside of the age that he should not be the number one overall pick. He's an absolute stud. I'm calling it here. I'm, I'm sure I'm one of the first ones calling it. Y'all might think I'm crazy, but just you wait. If he runs a good 40 at the Combine, he should be the number one overall pick. And I'll leave it at that. Uh, other notable players for Tennessee, running back Jabari Small, 19 rushes, 90 yards, and a touchdown. Also, three receptions, 32 yards, and a touchdown receiving. So, two touchdowns in the day. Big day for Jabari Bari Small as well, not to be outshined. Uh, Jalen Wright, his running mate in the backfield, also rushed for a TD in this one. So, on the day, what's that? Three rushing touchdowns as a team for Tennessee. 
dominant, dominant performance. Josh Heupel's offense continues to be an absolute revelation at Tennessee. Awesome to see Tennessee's offense doing as well as they are under Josh Heupel. Uh, another guy that benefited from that offense, though, and Hendon Hooker in particular, wide receiver Brew McCoy. You may remember him catching that TD to cap off the 99-yard to end the first half. He had five receptions, 102 yards, one touchdown on the day. Good day, I would say, anyways. I think that's fairly clear to see. <laughs> Either way, on Florida's side, uh, quarterback Anthony Richardson went 24 for 44, 453 yards, uh, 10 yards per attempt. I, I mean, not talking about him, it's just a credit to how great of a day Hendon and Hooker had, but Anthony Richardson had himself a day. Missed a few throws, but my goodness, he hit some big ones. Uh, four total touchdowns, two through the air, two on the ground. Turn it over twice, but wild, wild performance. Fun to watch from Anthony Richardson, if nothing else. Um, on the outside, Justin Shorter had himself a hell of a day. Seven receptions, 155 yards. Did not get a touchdown, but absolutely carved up that Tennessee secondary. Uh, wide receiver Ricky Pearsall had five receptions, 103 yards, and a touchdown. And of note, Keon Zipper, I just got to throw it out here. I mean, Tennessee, I know you want to strip the ball from Keon Zipper, but at the same time, you do have to tackle the guy at some point. Just just putting it out there. Maybe uh maybe you go for the tackle after you you know the first two or three stripping attempts does not work on uh, Keon Zipper. But with that said, did not cost him the win. Big big win for Tennessee. Really excited to see where this team goes from here. Moving on though, as I've already had a recording malfunction, and we are just limping to the finish this week. Number 23, Texas A&M gets their second straight ranked win. I mean, the first one was Miami, though, so take that with a grain of salt. Uh, following that App State loss, beating number 10, Arkansas, 23-21. Texas A&M is an offensive one-man uh, Devon A-chain, but God damn, I'm, I'm not even going to lie, that defense they have over there is something nasty. I mean, they got players all over the field. I am very bad at remembering uh defensive names in college football that's a flaw of mine hand up bad bad analyst when it comes to the defensive side of college football really on the nfl side too i'm just better at it because i'm more familiar with the players but don't know any players all i know is i watch texas a&m just about every week and they are stoning every single offense they play excited for that game uh, against mississippi state this week but i would anticipate it being an absolute rock fight can't wait. Uh, KJ Jefferson tested them early, jumping out to a 14-0 lead in the first quarter. A lot of people thought it was done, myself included. But from there, they tightened their play, didn't allow another score until the early fourth did that Texas A&M defense, which allowed Texas A&M's offense, beleaguered as they may be, to go on a 23-0 run in the middle half. That's the second and the third quarters and enter the fourth with a 23 to 14 lead highlight of that run was a play by that vaunted defense as they stripped the ball from KJ Jefferson on first and goal down on the two whatever DB it was got wrapped up about about the 50 yard line took it about I don't know 50 yards I don't know about half midfield I don't know exactly what it was but all I know is he passed the ball to his fellow defensive back again don't remember the guy's name. If I were a better analyst, I would know this at this point. But handed it backwards to him. Other DB 
runs straight, runs it to the end zone, not being tackled, runs it for a touchdown, 14-13, to going into halftime, major, major momentum shifter, that was the momentum shifting play, totally changed the game in this one, the game was tight down the stretch as the score stayed locked at 23-21 for the final 10 minutes of the game. Uh, K.J. Jefferson drove his team down the field into what was initially a solid field goal range, but then he fumbled the snap, recovered it, but lost nine yards in the process. That was that set up Arkansas kicker Cam Little for a 42-yard field goal. Minute 30 remaining in the game, which he doinked. Off the top of the upright, never seen that before. Might never see that again. That is something, just something to behold on that one. Doinked it off the top of the upright, sealing the win for Texas A&M. Hell of a win. They don't ask how, they ask how many. And you got exactly one win this weekend, Texas A&M. They are physically incapable of winning games in a pretty way, but I'll be damned if they don't beat teams into submission at home now the real question is, will that style travel and will that work when they face Bama, the Bamas and Ole Misses the world? Particularly, will that work this week against Mississippi State who has, we'll talk about it in a bit, but better offense, serviceable defense, certainly serviceable enough to, to shut down what they have. I mean, credit to Devon H.A. and he'll give you one or two big plays a game, but that Mississippi State team going to be a problem for them. I know they're favored by Vegas already, and that line just keeps going in Mississippi State's favor, which worries me as a fan. But honestly, they, they, they've had trouble with uh, with uh, Mississippi State in the past. We'll get, we'll get to it in just a second. Uh, with that said, some notable performers in this one. Uh, Texas A&M, on Texas A&M's side, my Jesus, our words hard sometimes. Uh, Max Johnson, quarterback for Texas A&M, you may, may remember him being, you know, mediocre last season. He was just about as mediocre in this one. 11 of 21 for a 52% completion. 151 yards, uh, 7.2 yards per attempt, which isn't terrible. Uh, one touchdown, zero interception. Didn't shoot you in the foot. Certainly didn't elevate you at all. Uh, that's all you can ask for Mac Johnson, I suppose, whenever you're just handing the ball off to Devin A-Chain. Um, as far as players outside of Max Johnson, uh, Devin A-Chain, what am I talking about? 19 rushes, 159 yards, over 8 yards per attempt, one touchdown on the ground. Also caught three passes. The dude is an absolute monster. He is the entire Texas A&M team. Who are we even kidding in this one? He is an absolute a specimen of a player may even sneak into that first round with how he is playing in that Texas A&M offense this season. Uh, interested to see how they perform down the stretch. Hope he sucks this week, though. Going to be honest, uh, on the Arkansas side, only real player of note, K.J. Jefferson uh, had 12, 12 completions on 19 attempts uh, for 63%, uh, 171 yards, 9 yards per attempt, so solid there. Three touchdowns, though. I mean, two passing, one rushing. Only turned the ball over once. Had one fumble. So, I mean, solidly efficient day from K.J. Jefferson, the guy that kept him in him. On the ground, 18 rushes, 105 yards for just short of six yards per attempt. And a touchdown, obviously. I talked about that uh, just a second ago. I mean, you'd love for them to come out of this with a win. But being in it right till the very end, Arkansas... Solid, solid team. K.J. Jefferson continues to impress me. Not draft eligible, folks. He'll be back next year. Could be even better. 
through the air when it's all said and done. Can't wait to see what he turns into down the stretch. But again, hope he sucks when he faces Mississippi State. That's all I got to say there. Moving on right down the line here, we have got number 15, Oregon, surviving a wild comeback to escape 44-41 after a comeback of their own versus Washington State. Big time defense optional type of game in this one. In the end, it was the clock alone that kept Oregon from losing this game on the road because no one was stopping anyone. Correction, no one was stopping anyone down the stretch because Washington State's defense came out and smacked Oregon straight across the face and Oregon did nothing about it. They jumped out to a 17-6 lead following a pick six by Francisco Malagoa. Malagoa, I think is how you pronounce it. Nailed it. And on first and goal uh, for Oregon, no less, uh, they led by as much as 27 to 15 late in the third at that but Oregon went on a run late scored a touchdown on th on three of their final four meaningful offensive possessions to take a 37 34 lead uh, then sealing the game on a pick six with one minute remaining in the fourth Oregon surviving and advancing 44 to 41 and notable performers in this one first and foremost. First and foremost, uh, Bo Nix, 33 of 44, 75% completion, uh, 428 yards, 9.7 yards per attempt, three touchdowns all through the air, uh, and one interception. That is, I mean, as, about as good Bo Nix as good Bo Nix gets. You always wonder when when the Mr. Hyde's going to come in. I mean, Dr. Jekyll is one thing, but the Mr. Hyde, he is a son of a bitch, and you never know when Bo Nix is going to just take on that personality, but God damn, has he been good over the last couple weeks since they got shellacked against Georgia, which maybe that was just Georgia being overpowering and not the uh, indictment on Oregon, especially in their first game under a new regime. But hey, Bo Nix, he might be, I mean, Caleb Williams is possibly, well, probably the best uh, quarterback in the in the uh, Pac-12. But man, Bo Nix, the way he's played uh, over the past couple weeks, making a good case for himself. And on Washington State side, Cameron Ward, not to be outdone, 20 or 37 of 48, 375 yards, uh, three touchdowns, two through the air, one on the ground. Had those two two interceptions, but my goodness, when you're throwing 77 completions, you can be forgiven for a few uh, mistakes here and there. A hell of a performance from him out there. Um, in the backfield for both of these teams, Bucky Irving on the Oregon side, 11 rushes, 81 yards for 7.4 yards per carry. Also had five receptions, 38 yards in the receiving game with a touchdown. Uh, solid, solid performance. Just short of 120 yards total from scrimmage. On the other side, Nikhil Watson for uh, Washington State had 12 rushes for 36 yards, so not great. Three, three yards per carry for doing the quick math at home. Uh, but had that TD, really did his damage through the air with eight receptions, 68 yards to put him over 100 uh, as far as the total yards category. Uh, on the outside, some real stars in this one. Wide receiver Troy Franklin for Oregon had five receptions, 137 yards, and a touchdown. Strong, strong performance from him. Washington State had five different receivers cat five different receivers rather catch five or more passes and three receivers with 80 plus yards. Oregon linebacker Mase Funa had a pick six late in the fourth to put Oregon up 44 to 34 and put a cork in this one to end it. Great, great game 
I mean, maybe the Pac-12 might be back. I mean, we'll have to see. Not quite as back as the Big 12, who we'll talk about here next. But my goodness, what a game from Oregon and Washington State. Hope to see more from them going forward here. But moving down the line, because we are not making enough progress, quick enough for being an hour into this recording. Uh, Kansas outlasts Duke 35-27 to to improve to 4-0. For the first time since 2009, getting a lot of first times since 2009. Going to be starting to get first time since 2007 with how well they've been playing if they keep playing this, this level. But it looked like Kansas might run away with this when Jalen Daniels, stud quarterback, really a revelation, uh, brought this entire program up on his back, really. Uh, he threw his third touchdown on a 36-yard bomb to Lawrence Arnold to go up 28-13 to with 8.25 remaining in the third. It was a score made even more backbreaking by the fact that Duke had just turned it over on downs after a 10-play drive stalled in Kansas territory, but Duke held strong, battled until the very end, scored outscored Kansas, rather, down the stretch and uh, had a chance to tie it late, driving 64 yards before stalling at the Kansas 31, turning over on downs to essentially end the game. Kansas hangs on to win 35-27. It's been a dream season thus far, but the true tests begin this week as Kansas gets into the meat of the Big 12 schedule with a strong Iowa State team at home, then a gauntlet of undefeated TCU team right now then they're at Oklahoma at Baylor uh they host Oklahoma State but top 10 team there right now at Texas Tech who just beat Texas to improve to three and one we'll talk about them in just a second um Texas for that matter and they close out the season at K-State with Adrian Martinez playing as well as he's been playing that is four ranked teams as of now and absolutely zero cupcake games from here on out. Hell, Kansas was the cupcake game for everyone else in the Big 12. If Kansas is in fact legit this year, they're about to get every opportunity to showcase it through the end of this season. The kitchen is hot in the Big 12 this year. Good for them to, for coming out and playing well. That being said, still Oklahoma and Texas are about to be ours in a few years here, so uh, suck it. Either way, notable performers, uh, Kansas quarterback Jalen Daniels, 19 of 23. I repeat, 19 of 23, 82.6% completion, 324 yards, 14.1 yards per attempt. He is slinging the damn ball right now. Putting his case out there to be maybe a Heisman finalist, if not a Heisman winner when it's all said and done. Five touchdowns, so he had four incompletions, five total touchdowns, four through the air, one on the ground, no turnovers. Also, on the ground, outside of that one rushing touchdown, had 11 rushes for 83 yards, just below eight yards per attempt. Jalen Daniels, one of the best quarterbacks in the country, like I said, brought the entire Kansas program up from where they've been Really, ever since 2009 to where they are this season, love to see it. Outside of him, though, on Kansas, running back Daniel Hishaw Jr. had 10 rushes, 61 yards. Also, one reception, but made the most out of it. 73 yards for a touchdown on that one. On the day, had 134 yards in his limited touches. Kansas as a team had 204 yards on the ground, just over five yards per carry in that one rushing touchdown by Jalen Daniels. On the outside, though, Lawrence Arnold led the way. Talked about him having that 36-yard touchdown catch to put the... Uh, 
put uh, Kansas up early in this one, but four receptions, 84 yards, and a touchdown overall. Hot, hot Kansas offense going in to Big 12 play. Looks like they fit right in in that conference. Um, on the other side, though, Duke QB Riley Leonard talked a whole lot about Jalen Daniels in this one. Riley Leonard, pretty solid performance of his own. Not not big touchdown numbers, but 24-35, so just short of 69% completion. Almost nice, almost, but not quite. Uh, 324 yards through the air, so 9.3 yards per attempt. One touchdown, no turnovers in this one. Also efficient on the ground with 10 rushes, 54 yards. His wide receiver, Jalen Calhoun, had a hell of a game. Not quite 100 yards, but five receptions, 93 yards, and a touchdown for him. Just not quite enough to, to keep Kansas from, from winning this one. Coming out, getting to 4-0 for the first time since 2009. Cannot wait to see if they are a legit team going into this Big 12 season. That is, oh, it is going to be a treat, ladies and gentlemen. Just sit back and watch because we are bumping way back over to the other uh, other side of the country here. Well, we got USC number seven, at least as of last week, battling out a gutsy win in a surprisingly low-scoring contest over Oregon State, 17-14. to This game was expected to be a shootout. My chosen online sportsbook, not telling you which one because they're not paying me, uh, had an over-under for this matchup set at over, like, 70, which is absolutely absurd. And let me tell you, if you bet the over, you felt like a fool watching this game unfold. What was billed as a high-flying offensive track race uh, played out as a physical, low-scoring defensive struggle all the way until the end. The score was 7-3 with Oregon State going into the uh, halftime. Uh, scoring didn't really pick up from there. Um, all scoring happened in the even number quarters, interestingly enough. In the second, it was Oregon State with a TD, while USC scored a field goal. In the fourth, all hell broke loose. Uh, two teams uh, got it going a little bit, relatively speaking. USC took the lead at 10-7 with a TD following a chance Nolan interception, one of the many he had, deep in Oregon State territory. Then, after a drought, Oregon State took advantage of a bad punt and a good return to score a go-ahead touchdown of their own with 440, or, yeah, 441 remaining in the game to make it 14-10. And on the ensuing possession, Caleb Williams had a bad day, but led USC 84 yards, capped it off with a 21-yard touchdown to Bolitnikoff winner from 2021, Jordan Addison, 107 left in the fourth quarter, 17-14. Chance Nolan threw his final interception of the game on the very next possession to seal the game and allow USC to escape from Corvallis, still undefeated, and move up the ranks into that spot, into the lifeless husk of, of Oklahoma's spot there, crowning them at six. I mean, they look like they're on pace to go to the playoffs this year. We'll see what they do when they get there, but hey, the experiment with Lincoln Riley going swimmingly thus far. We'll have to see what happens when they face the the, the top dogs, as it were, in the Pac-12 going forward here. Notable performers in this one. Like I said, Caleb Williams, not a not a great day in this one. 16-36, so under 50% through the air. 180 yards, 5 yards per attempt. 
one touchdown. That's it. And that one touchdown came at the most crucial time. So give him credit where credit is due. But sloppy, sloppy day from Caleb Williams. Credit to Oregon State's defense for shutting him down through the air in what's been a vaunted passing attack thus far this season. No turnovers. That's all you can ask for him with a bad performance. But got to be better as you get into Pac-12 play. Uh, running back Travis Dye, uh, 19 rushes, 133 yards, 7 yards per carry, and a touchdown for USC as well. He's a grad transfer from Oregon, absolute weapon out of the backfield, especially when Caleb Williams not having the greatest day in the world. Uh, also, the aforementioned wide receiver Jordan Addison, last year's Bolitnikoff winner, three receptions, 42 yards, did not really... Uh, make a whole lot of noise until that last uh, last go-ahead drive there, really. Caught that 21-yard go-ahead TD, TD with 113, 107, whatever it is remaining in the game to cap it off uh, on an 11-play, 84-yard drive. On the Oregon State side, Chance Nolan, plain and simple, lost Oregon State this game. He was 17-29, 167 yards, no touchdowns, and four Count them, four interceptions. I believe three of them were in the second half, two of them in the fourth quarter. Sloppy, sloppy day for for Chance Nolan. No two ways about it. If he didn't turn the ball over, that probably is the difference because USC had at least one touchdown where they got set up beautifully in Oregon State territory by a Chance Nolan interception. Got to tighten it up if they want to be anything going into the Pac-12 this year. Uh... Fun name of the day, Jam Griffin, running back for Oregon State, had 12 rushes, 84 yards, just jamming back there, 7 yards per attempt, so, uh, you know, 1 TD to go with that, Ooh, as I burp a little bit, that that's cool, that's very professional, uh, solid day for Jam Griffin, wish it would have materialized more on the scoreboard, that's really all you can say, a uh, couple quick hitters here, Notre Dame beats UNC comfortably, uh, 45-32, to uh, nothing I really have to say about this one other than USC over. Alive and well, ladies and gentlemen, we are on to Virginia Tech, and I am all over that one. Ride with me, my sweet, sweet ladies and gentlemen. I don't know if I could have phrased that any more awkwardly, but you get it. Ride with me, ladies and gentlemen. We are absolutely thriving here on the UNC over bandwagon. Virginia Tech Score a bunch of points against this dog shit defense. That's all I can ask. Uh, another quick hitter here. C.J. Stroud throws five touchdowns. And uh, number three, Ohio State wins big over Wisconsin to open Big Ten play. 52-21. to 21. And we're back. Second recording mishap. I'm only getting slightly frustrated now, ladies and gentlemen. Either way, 52-21. Uh, to 21, Just going to go. Just going to go right over that, uh, that whole thing again. I hate my life, ladies and gentlemen. I'll just tell you that much. Either way, 52-21. to 21, Ohio State, what can I say? They beat the shit out of Wisconsin. You're going to get an angry analysis this time because I... Whew, Man, I have I have work to do when this whole recording is done, but I digress. Either way, <sighs> center yourself, Caleb. Center yourself. Uh, solid performance. C.J. Stroud, five touchdowns, uh, 63%, 281 yards. Really putting himself in position to maybe win a Heisman again. What more is there to say about C.J. Stroud? Travion Henderson and Meon Williams. Mayan Williams, who fucking cares how his name is pronounced at this point? Uh, 
222 yards combined, 100 yards each for him. Travion Henderson had 121. Meon Williams had just over 100 with 101, but had two touchdowns to Travion Henderson's zero. So point to Meon Williams, Myon Williams. I'm going to have to figure that out before the next time I record. Either way, uh, Emeka Ibuka led the way on the outside. Six receptions, 118 yards, and two touchdowns as well. Uh, credit to Braylon Allen, 165 yards, 7.2 yards per carry, and a touchdown. Love you, buddy. Might end up being a first-round pick one day, but they hate wide receivers. No, they love wide receivers, hate running backs at this point, so eh, probably not when it's all said and done. But that being said, I, I, I already talked about this game. It just didn't... Uh, didn't record, so uh, I'm going to go fuck myself, and we're going to move on to number 17, Baylor, playing a close game, but never trailing at Iowa State in Ames. Final score ended up being closer than the actual uh, game was. Iowa State hung around in the first half. They scored a touchdown before halftime, make it 17-14, but Baylor came out in the half, out of the halftime, put the clamps on them. Uh, Baylor steadily built the lead behind some ferocious defense culminating with a 38-yard touchdown strike from Blake Shapin to Gavin Holmes with 9.37 in the fourth to extend the lead to 31-14. That was just about all she wrote. Iowa State made a 10-point surge, but ultimately too little too late. Baylor opens up Big 12 play with a strong win on the road there in a tough environment. Shit gets real for them this week, though, when they host number 9 Oklahoma State for a big-time matchup to get an early lay of the landscape in the Big 12. This might determine who ends up winning the whole thing in the end. Can't wait to watch it. Notable performers, Blake Shapin, 19-26 for over 70% completion, 238 yards, nine over 9 yards per attempt, 3 touchdowns, no turnovers, all you can ask for him. He is not a great quarterback by any stretch of the imagination, but if you give him time, he will pick a defense apart with what he is asked to do. Uh, in the in the backfield for Baylor, running back Richard Reese, workman like 21 rushes, 78 yards and a touchdown, just below four yards per carry. RIP to his knees for not a whole lot of uh, return, but I digress. Uh, also, in the backfield for, uh, actually not in the backfield, on the outside for Baylor, Gavin Holmes talked about him earlier with the long uh, touchdown reception, had three receptions, 92 yards and a touchdown on the on the day, rather. Big play waiting to happen was Gavin Holmes. Outside of him, though, uh, on the Iowa State side, QB Hunter Deckers went uh, uh, 64% through the air, uh, 284 yards, 7.9 yards per attempt. Two touchdowns, but two interceptions. Not going to cut it when you face an opponent like Baylor. Uh, in the backfield, Jarrell Brock led the way for Iowa State. Had 14 rushes, 73 yards for a 5-yard per carry average. One touchdown. Also caught a touchdown with three receptions to boot as well. Big day for him, just not quite enough. On the outside, in spite of the not great passing performance from Hunter Deckers, a couple pretty good players. Jalen Noel. Uh, Jalen Knoll, not sure how you pronounce that, uh, seven receptions, 120 yards, and no touchdown. Xavier Hutchinson, real star on this team, eight receptions, 84 yards, but no touchdowns. Eight receptions in all four games this season, actually, 403 yards and five touchdowns so far on the season. He is putting together a hell of a resume for being drafted to the next level, perhaps, um, also, player of the game on defense, linebacker Bryson Jackson led the way with two sacks on Deckers. Uh, good win from Baylor overall in this one. That being said, 
I am, I'm getting absolutely uh, burnt out here, so we're just going to breeze right through this Texas Tech-Texas game. Uh, what you need to know, Texas melted the fuck down in the end here. They played them, looked like they were going to win right up until the end. Uh, actually, not even really. Texas looked strong in the first half, 24-14 going into halftime, but Texas Tech dominated the second half. Texas had to drive down, get a field goal to tie it, send it into overtime. Then, first play of overtime, Star on the team, you wouldn't expect it from this guy, but Bijan Robinson came out, laid an egg, uh, laid the laid the hand egg on the ground, lost the football, fumbled at first play of overtime. All Texas Tech had to do was just chip shot, field goal. They win the game. Classic Texas meltdown here. Uh, Donovan Smith, 331 yards, below six yards per attempt, so not awesome there, but three touchdowns. I don't believe he had any uh, interceptions or anything like that. Uh, Hudson Carr didn't play bad. 20 of 30, 277 yards, nine yards per attempt, two touchdowns, one interception. Just not quite enough, I suppose. Um, outside of that, though, man, I am I'm I'm losing steam here fast. Let's just move on to the next game, shall we? Number four, Michigan grinded past those pesky turtles of Maryland, 34 to 27. Blake Corum had himself one day. I'll tell you what, man. Let's 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 go right down the list here. 30 rushes. 243 yards, 8 yards per carry, 2 touchdowns on the day. My goodness, the last two weeks for Corum have been explosive. A lot of yards this week, a lot of touchdowns last week, but over the last two weeks, I mean, 314 yards, 7.5 yards per carry, and 7 touchdowns. Had 5 last week, 2 this week for 7 over that time. That is right there, ladies and gentlemen, is what you have to do to get yourself into a Heisman conversation. We'll have to see how that goes for him going forward, but man, seven touchdowns in two games is a hell of a clip to keep up with. We'll have to see how that progresses. That's really all I had to say about that game. Not really a whole whole lot to say. Um, quick stop out to the Sun Belt, the Fun Belt here, ladies and gentlemen. JMU, inaugural season in the FBS, edges past App State to officially announce their presence at the next level here initially uh, looked like it might be a snooze fest but App State uh, came out firing particularly in the second quarter uh, they outscored JMU 28-7 to take a 28-10 lead into halftime but JMU I'll tell you what game of runs shut out the Mountaineers in the second half really dominated down the stretch 21 unanswered in the second half to ultimately take the lead and get a big win on the road to stay unbeaten in their inaugural FBS season. The biggest tests remaining on their schedule right now are playing Louisville at Louisville and hosting Coastal Carolina to end the season. So they have a very, very good shot of winning 10 games this season, their very first season as an FBS program. Shout out to JMU. Really, the party school everyone wanted to go to in my school back in high school so to see them thriving the way they are, just a little, little twinkle in my eye, a little warmth in my heart. I would go through the players on this one, but let's be honest, you don't care. It's, J it's JMU versus App State. You just don't care. Uh, Chase Bryce, the one guy you might know, not a terrible day, just not a great day either. Two touchdowns, two turnovers, but had 8.4 yards per attempt, so a bit of a mixed bag, just kind of what you come to expect from Chase Bryce from time to time. Uh, rounding out the games in this one as we just kind of bumped, skipped, and hopped our way through those last couple games, uh, Mississippi State, obligatory. It is my alma mater. Got to stop off and tell you they whooped the shit out of Bowling Green this week. Usually I don't include these, these bullshit games here, but 
they're my boys, so I make an exception for my for my team. I never said I wasn't biased. I just said, you know, I like to keep those biases out of my analysis. Um, obviously, whoop the shit out of Bowling Green, 45-14. Will Rogers, 39-50 of 50 for just short of 80% completion, 409 yards, six touchdowns, no interceptions. I mean, that's about as good of a stat line as you're going to see. We knew he was gonna, he could do this against inferior competition like Bowling Green. Cannot wait to see what he does against Texas A&M, and I hope it does not break my heart like his performance against LSU did. With that said, though, not going to make you listen to too much Mississippi State analysis because that's not why you're here. Simply not why you're here. A new AP poll after this week. The top 10 is as follows. UGA stays atop. After that 39-22 win, a little closer than it probably should have been against Kent State. A lot of points there for Kent State against that Georgia defense. Pretty surprising there, actually. Uh, Alabama took care of business, as you would expect, versus Vandy this week. Staying there at number two after their 55-3 win over the lowly. I mean, really, they're the what Kansas is expected to be in the SEC. That's what Vandy is right there. Uh, they stayed there at two. At number three, still got Ohio State after that 52-21 win over Wisconsin that we talked about. Michigan stays at four after winning against Maryland and that big performance from Blake Corum. Uh, Clemson stays at five to preserve that same top five that we had last week. 51-45 to against Wake Forest. They just barely stayed alive in this one. USC Moved up a spot after that Oklahoma lost uh, with that win that they had against uh, Oregon State, 17-14. to Just grinded it out there, moved up the standings. That's all you can ask for USC. Um, at 7, we have got Kentucky moving up a slot uh, after their... 31-23 win over Northern Illinois. My goodness, only one, eight, only one by eight points against Northern Illinois. That, that's pretty uh, concerning when you talk about who they're facing this week. We'll talk about them in just a second. Uh, but at number eight, we have got biggest mover of the week, Tennessee up three spots after that 38-33 win over Florida this week. And, man, they are dangerous. Their defense only has to be so good when their offense is so good this season. But my goodness, with Hendon Hooker back there, I mean, the ceiling is the roof for this team. We say it over and over again. It's my favorite saying in sports, but the ceiling is the roof for this Tennessee team. They are at number eight right now. Got a real real chance to move up, given what they have going forward on their schedule. Got a real chance to move down, too, but we'll just have to see how it shakes out. At number nine, OK State stays right there, right put, because they beat the, the holy hell out of Arkansas Pine Bluff, as you would expect Oklahoma State to beat uh, Arkansas Pine Bluff by 63-7, to not quite close. Uh, and rounding out the top 10, NC State still keeps finding a way to move up the rankings after not really beating anyone impressive. But hey, here they are at number 10. Moved up two slots this week after some chaos. Um, you remember Arkansas losing. Can't remember who was 11 last week, but I digress on that front. They won 41-10. to uh, It was against UConn, but they did win 41-10, to so that's got to be something, I suppose. Um, that is your top 10 right there. I believe K-State bumped their way into the top 10 after winning against, um, after winning against whoever they won against Oklahoma this week. Uh, so fun, fun week. Hopefully Kansas gets ranked, uh, after they win, hopefully this week against Iowa State. But with that, let's look at a little bit. We look ahead to a uh, week five. We've got it coming up right this weekend. As you're listening to this, I mean, it really gets gets going on Friday night. I mean, it gets loose, gets gets ready on Friday night, and then on Saturday, all just explodes, and I cannot wait. I, obviously, per usual, I'm explaining to you how college football works. What am I even saying? Let's just get right into this. 
Big matchups for week five. Starting off, we have got number seven, Kentucky, going to number 14, Ole Miss. Going to be an interesting styles make fights matchup here. Kentucky's offense has not been good. They cannot really run the ball. Um, crazy defense, though. They have been able to just smother the hell out of teams so far this season. They're going to face a test this week against Ole Miss. Not great quarterback play, but still great on the ground is Ole Miss. Very interested to see how that one shakes out. Outside of them, number 10, NC State, travels to number 5, Clemson, in the marquee matchup of the week as far as the rankings are concerned. That's going to be a fun one to watch. Hopefully, I got a feeling Clemson might end up coming out and, and putting the hands on NC State in the most violent way possible. But, top 10 matchup. First time that this matchup has been a top 10 matchup between NC State and Clemson. Cannot wait to see how that shakes out. Also up next, my boys, number 17, uh, Texas A&M going to my boys, Mississippi State, going into Starkville. It's been difficult for Texas A&M for a while now. They lost three of their last four games they've played at Mississippi State. Mike Leach has got a much better offense than Jimbo Fisher with a very good defense to boot. Don't be surprised if Mississippi State wins this one. Obviously, Vegas wouldn't because they have us favored, and the line is only going more and more in our favor. So, cannot wait to watch that one on Saturday. Um, outside of them, though, number 18 now, quite a fall from grace to that number six spot to number 18, but they are going, Oklahoma, going into undefeated TCU Going on the road should be interesting to watch. Uh, we'll see just how uh, just how, how good or bad Oklahoma is in this one. They can get a real uh, real statement win. Right the ship if they come out and schlack TCU, or at the very least come out with a win. A win is a win is a win, I suppose. Um, in the SEC, back over to the SEC, we have got number two, Alabama versus number 20, Arkansas. They're going into Arkansas, and the line is big in Alabama's favor in this one, but I'll tell you what, K.J. Jefferson is a hell of a player. Arkansas, that Fayetteville is a hard environment to go into, and I'll tell you what, man, I think it's in the in the teens right now in uh, Alabama's favor as far as the line. I'm taking Arkansas on this one. I'm putting legit money on it, so ride with me. UNC over Arkansas versus Alabama to cover who's riding with me. I hope you all are at home if you're in a legal gambling state. And if you've got a gambling problem, I mean, stop it. Get some help in the words of uh, Michael Jordan. Anyways, with that said, back jarring, head-turning, head sort of whiplash-causing jerk here. But we are going back to the Big 12 here as number 9, OK State, plays number 16, Baylor at Baylor. Baylor has a hell of an opportunity here to come out here, get a statement win to kick off, uh, really kick off Big 12 play. I mean, they did play Iowa State, but first ranked matchup in the Big 12. Cannot wait to see what they have in store for us. Uh, up next, we have got in the ACC, number 22, Wake Forest going down to number 23, Florida State, who makes a triumphant return to the uh, top 25 after uh, a four-year drought there that, I mean, Going through the doldrums if you're Florida State, uh, Wake Forest has a chance to really put them right back in there. I mean, you just came up for that sweet, sweet gulp of air, and Sam Hartman's going to grab you, fistful of hair, and just right down into the water, hold your head under there uh, while you are, are drowning. Quite maybe, maybe. That was quite a violent uh, metaphor there. Uh, but hey, either way, uh, I feel like Wake Forest might go in there and shellac Florida State, but it should be a good, good matchup. Uh, again, 
fun year to be in the ACC. Maybe not quite as fun as last year, but a fun, fun year in the ACC. In the Pac-12, though, all the way over on the other side of the country, um, number 15, Washington, taking on UCLA. Two of the three remaining undefeated teams in the Pac-12 this year. Um, should be an interesting matchup. UCLA has gotten by by the skin of their teeth. They won by one point against uh, South Alabama, I think it was. But uh, they're going to be hosting very, very good Washington team. Michael Penix Jr., remember him lighten up Michigan State. Uh, that was last week. Um, they're going to get an opportunity here with Washington to come out and make a statement against UCLA, maybe move up the ranks a little bit more. UCLA, if they beat Washington, got a chance to move into the top 25 too. So a lot at stake here for both of these teams. We are getting right into conference play, man. And it feels Oh, it feels good, ladies and gentlemen. It feels so good. Uh, jerking more whiplash going back to the SEC, back into the Eastern time zone. Actually, it's Auburn, so is that Eastern? Nope, that's Central time zone. We are going back to the Central time zone uh, away from the Western time. Uh, we got LSU at Auburn. Maybe the saddest chapter in this rivalry in recent memory. LSU has... I mean, I don't expect them to come out and, and light up Auburn, but if LSU comes out and wins by double digits, Brian Harson is gone. <laughs> no two ways about it. Really, if he loses this game, he's gone, because if he lost against Missouri last week, he was probably gone. Really, he's gone either way, but if he loses this one, I can guarantee you he he's out by Sunday. He might be. They might pull a Herm, Herm Edwards and just fire that guy on the field. Hope it doesn't happen. You want to see a guy continue to play or or continue to, to coach, but that man's about to get such a buyout. I don't I don't feel bad for him. I mean it's 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 coming to an end here whether he likes it or not. So maybe Brian Kelly can mercifully put him out of his misery here. But rounding out the the interesting matchups for this coming week, Kansas is hosting Iowa State, looking for their first five and zero start since again. 2009. We'll start to get into the first time since uh, 2007 stuff. Um, next week, I believe six. Actually, no. They got a bit of a, a gap here. They started seven and zero in 2007. So they hit eight and zero. They are hitting new all time highs. There, I, I believe I can fly. Hitting the Michael Bublé or whoever the hell sings that bullshit. Um, either way, looking forward to seeing what Kansas is made of in Big 12 play. Cannot wait. They're going to be tested even more going forward, but a hell of a start here with Iowa State. Going to be a, a real measuring stick to see what they are going forward. they got a real chance to show us something. But with that, uh, we are, I guess, whew, about an hour and a half into this, but we got one more segment for you, ladies and gentlemen. It is the Pick Pentathlon. This is the Pick Pentathlon. And ladies and gentlemen, we are ice cold, I tell you. Ice, ice cold coming off of last week. One in four in the inaugural week of the uh, Pick Pentathlon. So, failure by any metric, any measure you could put out there. But, we must persevere and step back in that batter's box. 
got to make some money. We all have a problem. We know it. I know it. You know it. But you know what? We're going to keep stepping in that batter's box. We're going to keep making money here. Uh, Carson Wentz disappointed me yet again, so he might be in the uh, the doghouse until he faces a truly dog shit defense with a good offense on the other side to bet the over in games he's playing. Josh Allen seemingly did everything except score on a consistent basis and run a touchdown. Uh, fucking tragic. And those goddamn Bears couldn't just take this game to a tie and preserve the under. They just had to go win. I mean, selfish. Truly classless of them. I stand by my 49ers pick, though. I don't I don't feel bad for picking against Nathaniel Hackett on basically a pick with Kyle Shanahan. I'm taking Kyle Shanahan. I'm taking Kyle Shanahan on that one. He could have Nick Mullins at quarterback again. I'm taking Kyle Shanahan all over again in that one. That being said, I'm just delusional enough to think I could go out and win, you know, win all of them this week. Go undefeated. So let's make some money here, shall we? Starting off with the favorite in the pick pentathlon. Again, explaining things if you all don't know. Got five different sorts of bets, five picks overall. Got a favorite, got an underdog, got an over, got an under, and a touchdown scorer prop for this Thursday night matchup that we are coming right up to. Um, For the favorite, I am taking, it's going to feel like I am picking on the Bears here, but Giants minus three and a half there at home versus the Bears. And I mean, again, if this analysis feels like I'm picking up the Bears, they do stink. Justin Fields, not good. They just lost their starting running back. Khalil Herbert, obviously a monster, had a monster performance this past week. But at the same time, Khalil Herbert is your only threat. Uh, Darnell Mooney is out there. I suppose he's he's serviceable. But uh, I think this Giants defense is good enough. I think their, their offense is better than what the Bears have. Low bar to clear, but I think they're better than what the Bears have. I think they're going to cover against this Bears team. Might be a little bit tough for them. It, it really, it hurts me to bet on the Giants because they are not a good team. But my God, there are some rat lines this week. I will tell you what, not a whole lot of favorites I like in this one. So I'm taking the Giants minus three and a half at home versus the shitty Bears. Uh, yeah, fuck the Bears. As far as the underdog this week, I have got the Jags. I love the Jags. Plus six and a half at the Eagles. The Eagles are a very good team, but I expect this to be a close contest. Six and a half points is entirely too many. Give me the Jags in this one. I think they're going to come out, announce their presence. I don't know if they're going to win. They're facing very much an uphill battle with the Eagles here. Jalen Hurts against that defense. Good luck. But at the end of the day, six and a half points, way too many. Give me the Jags. Over, I have got the Bills versus the Ravens. And again, not a whole lot of overs and unders that I like this week, but I will tell you what, this Bills versus Ravens matchup, it's either going to be a shootout or a blowout because the Ravens defense, their secondary has not been good this season. It has not lived up at all to what I thought it would be. 51.5 points sounds like a lot, but this is either going to be a shootout or a blowout, and I think Lamar Jackson is simply unguardable in the NFL at this point. So, Give me the shootout. Give me the over the 51.5 points for that Bills-Ravens matchup. As far as the under, I've got the Broncos and the Raiders under 45.5. You think about that Raiders, uh, think about those Raiders weapons. They got, you know, Devontae Adams, Hunter Renfro's probably coming back. Still got Darren Waller out there. Vaunted, vaunted group, but absolutely no offensive line. On the Broncos side, Nathaniel Hackett, 
handcuffs the shit out of them. What, what, what can I say? They they have not been able to score on anyone this season thus far. Have the Broncos. Plus, you throw in the fact that as far as we're talking about just the under here, so we're thinking about both teams on the whole, on the aggregate, and that Broncos defensive line with Randy Gregory, Bradley Chubb going against the Raiders offensive line, that, that is something that, that is, they're going to feast on. I don't think Derek Carr is going to have a whole lot of time. I don't think the offense is going to be very great as a result this season. And I'll, I'll tell you what, man. Well, not even this season, just this game, really. I'm talking about a whole season. Just in this game, I feel like the Raiders aren't going to... They're probably going to end up winning this in the end, but it's going to be a low-scoring contest, kind of controlled by the Broncos' defense. Give me the under of that 45-and-a-half. And And, uh, final bet here, my anytime touchdown scorer prop for the Thursday night game in particular. I have got Jalen Waddell. All sorts of attention being paid to Tyreek Hill and how he's got something for Eli Apple, in his own words, uh, when they match up. I think that's just going to end up leading to extra cover shaded over extra coverage rather shaded over to Hill's side of the field. Look for Waddle to have some opportunities to get behind that secondary and score one tonight. That prop is at one sixty-five or plus 165, last I checked, I strive to give you a plus money prop in this TD score prop here. And that is all, ladies and gentlemen, to go through all the uh, all the picks here. From the top, as the favor, I've got the Giants minus 3.5 versus the Bears. Underdog, I'm taking the Jags plus 6.5 at the Eagles. Taking the over on the Bills versus Ravens over 51.5. Broncos versus Raiders under 45 and a half and Jalen Waddle to score a touchdown. Happy betting, my friends. Thursday night football tonight. We got Bengals in the White Tiger Unis going down to face the Teals in Miami. Get hyped. Enjoy it, everyone. I am about to be locked in. Cannot wait. That is all for this episode. So if you enjoyed, subscribe. Leave a leave a five-star rating so we can grow this bad boy just a little bit. Uh, if you enjoyed it, keep or didn't enjoy it rather, keep it moving, my guy. But you know, tell people it was good anyways, trying to get that good PR going. Let's get this fucker growing, ladies and gentlemen. I release episodes twice a week. During football season, NFL on Tuesdays, college football plus Monday night football recap on Thursdays. Any additions or changes, I will let y'all know as they occur. And there are changes galore all the damn time. So, yeah, I'll let you know as they occur. If you want to contact the show, either shoot me a DM uh, through my Twitter, which, by the way, at Caleb Verzak. Link will be in the description if you don't want to spell my, fe- my fucked up Eastern Block name. But if you want to not go through my DMs, which makes sense, Shoot me an email, unqualifiedanalysis at gmail.com. Just put business or show in all caps in the subject line to be categorized appropriately. Thank you so much for tuning in to Unqualified Analysis. And as always, I have uh, got zero clue what I'm talking about. One thing I learned this week, though, in uh, Shakespearean English, there was a single letter that made the TH sound the like the or thing or think, you know, like you know what I'm saying. Makes that sound, but could not be represented on a keyboard of a typewriter when it was being transcribed from the the original handwritten script to the the typed out script because you know no one uses that letter anymore so there's no reason to put a key for it in the typewriter uh that being said 
Instead, they replaced it with a, a capital Y or just a Y in general where applicable instead of that uh, that that th, that th letter the letter thuth or whatever the hell it was called. I can't remember. If I was a good host, I would have gone back and uh, found what the actual name of the the character was. But I digress. So one of those places the, uh, the is the phrase "ye old shop." You, you might see from like you know rena Renaissance whatnot. Um, anyways. So, pronounced correctly, that is actually the old shop. Not ye old shop, the old shop. Dumb fun fact, but it blew my goddamn mind when I first heard it. I just thought people were throwing ye into common vernacular up until now in the Middle Ages. I totally blew my mind, but no, they're saying they're saying the and and think and and thought and and th hypo hypothalamus all, all on their own, um, not not throwing wise in there erroneously. Love to see it from the Middle Ages. Um, yeah, that that's all for this episode. I'm going to mercifully end it right here. Deuces, enjoy the weekend. See y'all on Tuesday.